What is up, punks? It's Shinobi, and we are bringing you a special edition of Block Digest on Monday, uh, August 10th. Uh, we have Mr. Chris Belcher here today, um, and sadly, I'm not going to be able to grace you with the, the folk ballad song that I keep trolling you about because I lazily still haven't written it yet. Folk ballad song? Well, I think that, you know, Belcher is an underappreciated MVP in this space, and I think he needs a, a folk ballad. Maybe that's well, good. Privacy isn't bad after all. Well, there is a new thing called Bardcore. I don't know if you've seen um, Hildegard von Blingen yet. <laughs> Wait, what? I can do this with more instruments than just a guitar? Shinobi, don't you remember when I showed you that song that it was a medieval version of um, Pumped Up Kicks? I think the musical direction of this is taking a whole new direction in my head, Vulture. <sighs> Alrighty, though. Uh, trolling aside, trolling aside. Um, yeah, so you are working on a coin swap implementation. Uh, so want to kind of just dive into um, what really motivated you to finally do that? Because, uh, you know, if you, if you pull this off first, um, I think this makes you the first person to implement coin join and then also coin swap, both of Greg Maxwell's uh, old ideas from back in the day. Yeah, that would be... Um... So actually, uh, CoinSwap has been implemented before once in a, a not very well-known implementation. It's kind of a toy in some ways. And that was written by Waxwing in Python. You can find it on his GitHub called CoinSwap CS. But it had lots of... Um, uh, so the, the way I see CoinSwap is one great idea, but it needs lots of other building blocks to make it really properly work. Uh, so for example, a big thing is a DOS attack, like you could... I'll just go into that briefly, which is uh, if Alice and Bob are doing a coin swap, they have to both put money in a multi-sig address. And what you could end up is that one of the people backs out just at the last, you know, the last minute, and then the person who's put their money in the multi-sig address first, they have to waste time and have to waste minor fees in order to get their money back. Uh, you could call that a DOS attack, a denial of service. And that was not really solved so far, and I think I've, I've told it as a way. And also for CoinJoin, there are other older CoinJoin implementations, so that wasn't the either, unfortunately. But hopefully I can be the first widely used one. I can aim for that. Well, uh, I stand corrected. Yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of these little-known implementations that are kind of... People make them to play around with the ideas, and then they just kind of... Yeah, like they're toys. They kind of give up and don't go, and people don't never use them. Uh, I have to be honest, Join Market started like that, that I said I had the idea of having a liquidity market of a maker and a taker for coin joins and kind of coded it up over two weeks or so. Um, uh, but to then to my surprise, lots of people actually started using it. Well, like actual real Bitcoins, not just testnet Bitcoins. So um, then it kind of became a real project. You could put it that way. But it wasn't meant to be. So now, as, of, well, what motivated me for sorry, carry on. I was just gonna say so it's kind of a happy accident. Yeah, yeah. And someone someone joked at me, they said maybe Bitcoin itself was like that. Maybe Satoshi just wanted to, you know, make a toy implementation of you know, 
gold money and digital way what was called Bitcoin. Um, and then people started using it for real. I guess we'll never know. Well, the Bitcoin wizard definitely gives that impression. Hey, real quick, guys, can, can we hold for a second? And um, I'm going to try to reconnect to my VPN. This is really fucked, but my ping time went up through a clear net connection rather Thank than you. down. Yeah, sure. All right. Yeah, that is a really strange thing. Um, adding a VPN just cut my ping time in half. Um, I really don't know what to make of that. Very interesting. I wonder if it's um, what you know, no, not net neutrality, but that you're being throttled because you're not on a VPN. Ah, well, I guess that's really my only thought. So yeah, I guess to kind of you know. Uh, pick back up uh, with a little better audio quality. Um, you know, you kind of want to break down, um, you know, why it really took so long to uh, kind of move from all of these coin join implementations to working on coin swap and kind of all the, the complexities there that really um, kind of stalled that progress wise. Yeah, so I think uh, many people were first working on coin joins because they're very, they're relatively easy to implement. So a coin join is one transaction. Um, you can, if you have a coin join implementation, you just have many people agree to make this one transaction and they all sign it and then you broadcast it. And then you're basically the coin join implementation is finished. It doesn't have to monitor confirmations and it doesn't have to monitor the blockchain or anything like that. It just, so it, it you know, it just makes the transaction. That's that it broadcasts it. Um, so that's, uh, that's a lot easier than coin swap. So the, a really big thing with CoinSwap is that you have to interact with people across different blocks. So you have to talk with your, your new application has to talk with another application, then it broadcasts a transaction, then has to wait for it to be confirmed. And after that, it will talk to them again to do more communication. Um, that That's one source of complexity. Uh, but also it could just be, why did CoinJoin come first? Just because it was the simpler thing and people uh, people go for the simpler thing first, like, okay, so back, I don't know, in 2013 and 14, there was no, there was no, uh, privacy solution that, that didn't involve trusting a third party, like who could steal your coins. I mean, there were those centralized mixers and, uh, then the first idea, okay, we need something good. Let's just try CoinJoin. It's the simplest thing and we can work from that. And eventually people iterate, they make the next thing, but better and better. And I think now it's just time to go for coin swap. Yeah, and so, you know, fundamentally, I think when you really look at coin joins and coin swaps, they're kind of like the polar opposite in terms of on-chain privacy models. Like you have coin joins that are just obscuring the input and output graphs, although blatantly doing so. And then, you know, coin swap, ideally, um, if you have the right primitives, um, you just swap two unrelated coins on chain without kind of tying anything together in terms of metadata footprint on chain. Yeah, that's right. And CoinJoin has other, um, there's lots of other downsides. So they, they use, they use quite a lot of block space. So, okay. So I'll explain that a bit. Uh, there's two kind of main ways of CoinJoins now, which is Either there's fixed denominations, which is what Wasabi and Samurai do, where there's a fixed coin join amount. So for example, Wasabi is 0.1 Bitcoin and all the coin joins are for that amount. And that uses a lot of block space because uh, having this fixed denomination damages the divisibility of Bitcoin. You can't send any amount, you can only send 
which means, for example, if you have 0.6 and you want to conjoin them all, you have to make six conjoins, right? 0.1, six times to get 0.6. Uh, so that will immediately, you've had to use six times as much block space than if you just sent a transaction normally. Um, so join market doesn't have that because it has this liquidity market. But in in join market, um, the the market makers, they would have never had made a transaction Anyway, like their, their coins would have been happy sitting in their wallet, never moving until the market taker came along and created a coin join. Um, so they, they, uh, the transactions are bigger from there, like you, because of that reason. So the taker, if they weren't using coin join, they would have made a, in a transaction with, I don't know, one input and, and then with a coin join and join market, they have maybe 10 inputs and 20 outputs. So it's a lot bigger already. So block space is a big reason. Um, a big downside of coin joins compared to coin swaps. Uh, another downside, uh, which is really important, is that these equal output coin joins are really detectable. That it's really obvious that this thing is happening. That, that all the output amounts are, or at least many of the output amounts have the same amount, um, and you can, you know, there's lots of inputs as well, and lots of change addresses, um, and therefore the kind of those kind of transactions can be censored, like either by the miners or by someone who receives those coins. Like we've. We've seen exchanges doing that for Wasabi coin joins. Uh, another downside they have is they leak the um, they still they leak the change address of of in a in a coin join. So in the example of Wasabi and Samurai, if you don't have 0.1 Bitcoin exactly, suppose you have 0.15, then you'll do a coin join for 0.1, and you'll have 0.05 left over as a change address. Um, and that can that still leaks information. And then you have to be careful to solve it. Uh, now with join market, you can do because there's the liquidity market, which allows you to make coin joins for any amount. It's possible to do a sweep coin join, where you essentially, if you're a market taker, you create a coin join which has no change address. So, for example, you had one bitcoin, and your coin join will be for 0.999 whatever, like one bitcoin minus fees, and there'll be no change address. So then the taker won't leak the change address there, but all the market makers will. So they have the leak change address, and then there's that leaks a little bit of information. And there have been attacks of people using that, and CoinSwap doesn't have this either because the CoinSwap transactions just look like regular transactions. Uh, so that, I'll just summarize. I think there's, I think I mentioned four reasons that the CoinJoin uses a lot more block space. It's detectable, and it leaks change addresses, um, like and, and leaks inputs actually. So. Uh, well, no, okay. Let's just yeah, call it those three reasons: change addresses, detectability, and block space. That's why CoinSwap is better. Yeah, and it's you know, the the one thing I think, or like the the first thing in, in your implementation proposal, I think that really kind of drives that home to a true statement is looking at using uh, two-party ECDSA schemes. You know, because prior to that. Um, you're kind of fingerprinting things already if you were to use a two of two multi-sig or even a, a fake two of three. And that drastically, you know, reduces the overall anonymity set that that can really blend in with the chain. And, you know, one, one thing I'm kind of thinking here in terms of, you know, the actual implementation you're going for is I know there's a couple different multi-party ECD um, SA schemes out there. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, other projects in the space kind of looking at utilizing those for different things. You know, you have people 
um, in the Lightning community um, looking at that. Um, and then you have Commerce Block trying to apply, I think, Lindell's scheme um, for their variation of a state chain that could be deployed right now. Like, have, have you really given much thought in terms of which actual implementation you're going to use? Um, thinking through like how interoperable or compatible that could be with other schemes um, using that in the space? Uh, yeah, I've given a little bit of thought. All I've done is I've read, I've got the notes here. I've read the paper by Lindell, um, which seems to be a starting point for most of this stuff. And there is a, uh, there's a talk that I think he or someone related to the paper gave, and I watched that. And there's a Rust implementation that someone from Lightning Labs wrote, which I kind of glanced over. Um, but apart from that, I haven't given it, I think that's probably the best way, this Lindell thing, because it has the, it has the feature of, uh, you know, two two of two, and and it's like a two of two multi-sig that looks the same, and it doesn't implement things that I won't really need, like uh, adapter signatures or anything like that, or a th threshold thing like K of n instead of n of n. Um, to be honest, I haven't spent too much time on it. I think the first kind of the roadmap for this first project is to first make it with regular multi-sigs uh, to make sure all the protocol stuff works of communication and. All the, all the incentives and everything like that, the liquidity market, make sure all that works. And then the ECDSA2P can be added on afterwards. So kind of the first version that's just on testnet, we'll just have regular multi-sigs for now. Okay, so you're just mostly looking at um, making sure that there's no little incentive holes in terms of the interactions during different steps before you really start thinking about that. Yeah, and that's really important. Like if you get anything about that wrong, people can really, people can lose money. Like the market makers who... So if you step back a bit, the point of the market makers is there's someone who owns Bitcoins, just, you know, like a holder or something. They would have, otherwise the coins would have stayed in their cold storage, but they choose to put them in this coin swap maker to make, uh, to earn income from that, like having a, a share give you dividends or something. And they're not really, this kind of, this group are not going to accept if there's any risk that there's any possibility of losing money. So I'm, um, that, that just involves checking the protocols and making sure things like the uh, the equivalent of watchtowers in lightning that that works properly and that's designed properly mm -hmm. all right so kind of like uh oh, the only way i can really think to do this is kind of slow step by step because i'm not gonna lie um it's kind of counterintuitive even for me trying to think this through but like in the the implementation spec that you wrote out you kind of slow walk um your way from a very basic implementation into this very complex um, kind of routable scheme. And, you know, obviously the, the problem with the most naive implementation is if uh, you and me both put, you know, 15 Bitcoin in swap addresses and then succeed and finalize the coin swap, that's correlatable. And so, your notion from there is just a maker using individual UTXOs in separate transactions to break, um, you know, the amount correlation on chain. And then that still leaves that maker aware of where all your coins actually went. So you kind of propose um, the idea of routing through multiple makers atomically. Um, and you don't really kind of spell out in the specification here, like how you actually intend to implement an HTLC um, in terms of 
hopping through multiple uh, makers. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering, like, how exactly would that work without the potential for fingerprintable scripts or, or linkages between transactions um, potentially hitting chain? Uh, so there is uh, there is a thing if uh, an important part of CoinSwap is that it's quite undesirable for the 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 contract transaction. So the transaction which actually contains the timeout and the hash lock part to end up on chain. So a lot of the incentives are around trying to make that as rare as possible. Um, and um, yeah, and the, the way the routing works is it's very similar to Lightning that each each of the makers in the route, uh, they lock up their coins in, in a multi-sig reverse and they can get them back if they, either from the, they can get them back from the next taker, from the next peer if they provide a, a hash value or from the previous taker if they wait for a timeout. And then once the hash value is known to everyone, then it's like the coins have all jumped forward one step. Okay, so you're, you're like literally talking about um, an explicit HTLC in its own transaction and the idea just being that, um, you know, hopefully everybody just cooperates and at no point does that hit chain. So you're, you're kind of thinking load into um, the coin swap address, then from that point actually have a transaction that would dump things into the HTLC and ideally in a success people cooperatively sign and just bypass that completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. Uh, but and it's based on more than just hope. It's I'm trying to make it based on incentives so that I've actually um, I've got a, a design I'm working on, which I'm going to send to the mailing list soon, which is about that talks about the actual numbers so that if the if like there's a cooperative case, then all the all the makers will earn their coin swap fee and they won't pay men. They don't pay anything in minor fees. Uh, but if there's a if there's a if there's a problem, for example, if if all the HDLCs are broadcast and people have to wait for the timeout, not only do they waste time, but they also have to pay minor fees and they don't earn their coin swap fee. So for the makers, there's a strong incentive for them to actually to to actually make the protocol succeed in a way. Like you know, they have an incentive to try and reconnect again if they lose connection. They have an incentive to wait along you know wait minutes in case the other guy's internet stopped working or something and for the taker they obviously have an incentive because they really want privacy so um i i'd hope i mean i'm gonna when i email it to the list then people can review that but i hope that the incentives all align so that everyone just works together and these transactions never hit the chain okay so that's kind of like a a major difference in terms of coin swap and coin joins privacy models in terms of you know, if, if a coin join fails for some reason, um, potentially I've revealed a little bit of information to the coordinator or other peers related to an input, but I'm not really revealing anything um, at large to the public. Whereas here, if, uh, you know, a coin swap kind of failed, then you pretty much have the entire linkage of the attempted coin swap hit chain, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, doesn't that kind of potentially pose a systemic risk if, you know, somebody were to try and grief makers in terms of definitively doxing UTXOs that are involved in coin swaps? I know um, part of your proposal is that makers could effectively pull the same trick that CoinJoin does where you just have a bunch of fake inputs um, that you send to the the taker. And then, um, you know, if 
this doesn't actually succeed, then they have to kind of guess out of this whole mess of fake UTXOs, which one is real. Um, <clears throat> a coin swap failing would kind of publicly dox like all of these UTXOs are involved in coin swaps right now. So wouldn't that kind of present an issue for those UTXOs being used in swaps in future if that were to happen? Yeah, so there's two different um, things you've mixed together there. So the thing you're talking about sending random inputs back and forth, that's related to the, the idea of a pay join with coin swap, where somebody, the taker or one of the makers, pays into a coin swap address with a coin join. And then that also breaks the um, common input mm -hmm. ownership heuristic. And uh, to make any kind of coin join, you have to send inputs forth and then sign the whole transaction. And then the attack is that a malicious taker could spy on the makers and figure out their inputs without spending any money. And then the solution for that attack is to use the decoy inputs where the maker sends many random inputs that don't belong to them. Um, uh, but the thing the thing we were talking about earlier was the coin swap HDLCs actually end up on chain if there's a problem. And I think you were asking about an attack where there's a malicious taker and he wants to make coin joins, say he makes a coin join with all the maker, sorry, he makes a, this malicious taker makes a coin swap with all the makers and then intentionally stops the coin swap so that all their HDLCs have to hit the chain. Uh, yes, that attack is possible. Um, and there's two, two, at least two defenses I can think of it. One is that to do this, the taker would have to first spend their own minor fees. So to do this to every maker in the order book, they'd have to like to do it repetitively, constantly, they'd have to constantly spend minor fees. Um, to do that and maybe you know maybe that will be cheap maybe it, depending it could be cheap could be expensive so that maybe that's not too good of a defense but to start with i think it'll be quite good and then the second defense which is uh better for long term will be instead of to have hash time lock contracts to wait for schnorr to be added to bitcoin and then you can do point time lock contracts and then then you could have uh you could have contracts which are like HDLCs, but they work with Schnorr signatures and adapter signatures. And then if they end up on chain, they just like a, look like a regular Schnorr signature uh, with, you know, with a time lock. So there's no, they look like anything else. And then that fingerprinting there for the whole world to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, would, that would definitely be a much preferred uh, implementation detail. But, you know, prior to Schnorr, my, my concern is that, um, a malicious taker could grief makers and the like my concern here isn't so much like makers losing money beyond fees it's the fact that those get tagged as coin swap coins and so now from that point on heuristically somebody like a, a chain analytics company could assume where these coins go um a coin swap is involved and so that becomes a basis to assign taint to them. And that uh, would incur a cost uh, for the makers in terms of like, how do they clean that up? Like now outside of CoinSwap, they have to find some way to disassociate that UTXO with that taint, or that's a basis to start blacklisting. You know what I mean? Like we could, like somebody could grief a CoinSwap tag all of these makers utxos and now just make an assumption now that these are all the outputs of coin swaps going forward yeah you're right that that's a, a definite possible attack but for the for this griefing they would have to pay money for it so to grief one maker they have to pay one minor fee 
um, for the amount. Uh, and then, you know, to grief all the makers, suppose there's 20 or 30 makers in the order book. And right now in joint market, there's about 60 or 100. They'd have to spend 60 or 100 or, or however many makers there are, they'd have to spend that many minor fees. And not just once, but they have to do it constantly. So every time one of these guys makes a new transaction, they'd have to, this malicious taker would have to do it again and spend more minor fees. So it's not a free attack. And I doubt it's going to happen straight away. And hopefully by the time the attackers wise up, we'll already have Schnorr and then we'll use point time luck contracts instead of hash time luck contracts. Mm -hmm. All right, then kind of a, another, um, you know, aspect of the, the whole routing these through multiple makers is you also go into the, the notion of kind of condensing UTXOs or fanning them out through the process of a coin swap. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the, the things that kind of jumped out at me is looking at the notion of, um, yeah, I, I was kind of trying to walk through the implementation spec kind of step by step, but I think I'm going to kind of jump a little bit ahead to the pay join stuff too. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at the, the notion of if I have, say, two UTXOs that I don't want tied together um, under any circumstances then I just route them through a coin swap to wind up with a single UTXO. And my concern there, when you start looking at the notion of pay joins inside of coin swaps, um, you know, can you really be sure that those two UTXOs don't wind up in the same transaction? Like, I mean, the potentially one is swapped somewhere and then that coin winds up coming back and being involved in a pay join like coin swap because like ultimately even though i've disintermediated myself from those coins like i have completely separate ones um from a chainalysis point of view if those if one of those coins was kyc'd or tied to me in a cluster and was eventually combined with the other one i mean they would make that interpretation that I had both of those coins. And despite that not being true right now, um, that was true at some point. That's an interesting point that the, so I guess concretely what would happen there is uh, you have a UTXOs A and B, you don't want them together and you send A with a coin swap to one person and then B with a coin swap to another person and then you do a coin swap and that's all finished. Then someone else comes along and they choose, they make a rooted coin swap and it uses both of those makers. And then both of those makers together do a, to a pay join between them. And just by chance, your, your, your coin swapped UTXOs, like one transaction ahead, get pay joined together. Um, and yeah, then that would, you could argue that would be evidence um, that they're owned by the same person. But I guess they're not, in that case, they're not... Um, yeah, you're right. Like that could happen, but you'd have to be tricked by this. You'd we'd already be in in an environment where pay joins are very, very popular. Um, I guess it, the, the some other like a lot of things have to line up for that to really happen. And uh, and I, I suppose you could say, okay, under no circumstance, so I don't want any of my UTXOs to be to have to have evidence that they're the same person that they that they're co-owned. Um, then yeah, I guess that is a yeah. You're right. That is a real attack. Although I'd argue in, in an environment where pay joins are popular, then that kind of evidence won't really be evidence. Like the in that case, the common input ownership heuristic would just be broken at that point. 
Well, I mean, hopefully, I mean, that's uh, the end result I'd like to see. But you know what I mean? I just kind of work on the assumption that these companies are still going to keep clinging to these things that make them look valuable as a service. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of little edge case stuff like this. Um, I don't really see coin swap so much as superior to coin join. I see it as just the other end of the spectrum. And I see a lot of potential synergy here. You know what I mean? Like for instance, um, in this kind of hypothetical situation, um, I could coin join one of those UTXOs um, to introduce ambiguity there and then go into a coin swap to condense things so that, that um, th- there is that uh, extra kind of plausible deniability if this were to occur down the line. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So by doing an equal output coin join there, you're showing the world that you're engaged, you're doing a private like an, a privacy activity, but then you still get privacy. You're just showing them that it's privacy. So it's like you've put on a mask and no one can see you. Well, a coin swap would be that you've somehow, I, I don't know, the, the, the mask thing doesn't come into this analogy, but it's as if you've transformed into another person and no one knows that you even were anonymous. Like um, you don't wear a mask. The new person doesn't wear a mask. They just are a new person. But a thing I'm trying, a thing that I hope after CoinJoin gets really popular is that all these assumptions will break down. Like we could, I think eventually there'll come a point where people actually come up with memes. For You know how memes are a good way of spreading ideas. So for example, you could have a hashtag, how do you know it's not a coin swap? When anyone, when anyone tries to do some blockchain analysis and maybe they, they post on Twitter or something, someone replies underneath, hashtag, how do you know it's not a coin swap? Because that could be true anything, any anytime. Anytime someone does a some kind of analysis even if there's one coin swap in their whole their whole uh, like evidence in their whole analysis then the whole thing will be wrong um so i think uh, uh, yeah eventually you'll come to that point that we need to tell the world of how flawed their assumptions are after, after things done after things created and people use it mm-hmm. and then um you know one of your uh long-standing ideas for join market is uh also a big part of this spec so the uh the whole fidelity bond idea um yeah, that, in- that actually came first so i was thinking mm-hmm. i've actually been thinking about coin swap for years and um uh it, it has the dos problem i mentioned a couple of minutes ago and fidelity bonds is the way that's solved and i first came up with the fidelity bonds as a way as a solution to dos and then I realized later it also can be used as a solution to Sybil attacks. And then I realized that can also be applied to join market. So I wrote up that document about a year ago. It's been now for join market. And the idea was that join market would be kind of, I'd first try it out there. It would be an experiment to see how it works. Um, and then later it will be used for coin swap. And that's probably how, how I'll do it. Like, I think right now I will write the coin swap project to have a lot of the features but not fidelity bonds yet and then i'll go back and finish implementing fidelity bonds on during market and they're actually mostly implemented already uh, and then kind of release that into the wild and people can see how you know see how that works if it gets uptake and that kind of thing we'll, we'll we as a community will gain experience with fidelity bonds and then i'll go back and add them into coin swap as well um and yeah i quite we can talk about that i quite like that idea it's, it was really it was a really fun thing to come up with and invent especially the V squared thing. Yeah. I mean, cause it's, you know, 
especially when you look at like CoinJoin versus CoinSwap, I think that the fidelity bond issue is way more important with CoinSwap because, you know, a CoinJoin uh, denial of service doesn't really incur on-chain costs. It's just a privacy leak and a waste of time. Whereas here, um, you know, you're kind of irrevocably committing yourself to that on-chain cost once you enter or enter the contract. Yeah, for the DOS, uh, definitely for CoinSwap, it's more important. But then using Fidelity Bonds as a way to resist civil attacks, I'd argue is important for both of them. Because if you realize today, um, uh, in Wasabi and Samurai Wallet, they can they can civil attack their users for fr- like almost for free. It doesn't cost them very much at all. All that you need to do is, for example, if, uh, I don't know, if the Wasabi company gets a is forced by some government to if you you know if you watch this UTXO then you have to civil attack it then they'll be able to do that so the UTXO comes along and wants to do a coin swap, coin join and the wasabi server sends all its own inputs that all belong to it you know 99 of them or however many they are and then the the owner of that UTXO they'll they'll think everything's okay and sign the transaction and they'll think they're taking part in a 100 party coin join but because all the other 99 parties are actually owned by wasabi they'll easily tell which is the one uh, output left over, um, and they'll know where the, where the UTXO went, went, and that that would be a, that's basically the definition of a civil attack. But because these because Samurai and Wasabi are centralized, the only person who can do this is the coordinator, the server. While in Join Market, uh, the way you do a civil attack is to flood the, the the liquidity market with your own sibyls, and for that you you also need to own a bit of bitcoins. But if like I've done the maths, it's not very costly at all, really. And uh, then Fidelity Bonds as a way that massively increases the cost of it. Like if I remember the numbers, it's something like 500 million have to be locked up for a couple of months in like $500 million have to be locked up in Bitcoin for a couple of months, which is a huge cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's mostly, uh, I don't know. See, my, my concern here is that, you know, is, is that cost going to wind up being too high? Well, it's set by the, what do you mean by too high exactly? Well, I mean, implicitly by locking up, a like you, if you're a maker in a system like join market or a coin swap market like this, I mean, obviously your interest here is to make a return on your capital, but locking things up in a fidelity bond is kind of, you're, you're limiting the amount of capital that you can generate a return on. So like, you know, I like I it's it's been a while since I looked at the the fidelity bond um write up that you did, but you know, like what what was your thinking in terms of like arriving at a cost for that in terms of the opportunity cost of like I am a real entity that isn't being sibled but um not really incurring too high of a cost there to disincentivize. Right, I see what you mean. Um you're saying that they're, they're, because of this there may be less there may be not enough liquidity in in the liquidity market because it's mm-hmm. all because much of it's gone to fidelity bonds uh so for that um i guess that's that could be possible um so what's the the situation in join market right now is there's it's possible to create coin joins up to like just over 200 bitcoins and then if you want really lots of liquidity like many many bots like 20 or 30 then you have to the limit is at 40 bitcoins and that's still a very big amount like 400 more than four hundred thousand dollars you can make a, a coin join for that with loads and loads of liquidity. So if even if the liquidity falls a bit, it will still be very useful for people 
I mean, I don't know about you. Four hundred thousand dollars is like a lot of money, and I I don't coin join that, you know, every day or ever. Um, but uh, it could be if the if the available liquidity falls a bit, then I think there's like headroom there to lose a bit of liquidity. And secondly, what we can try, you can notice now that join market is barely advertised at all. Like very few people know about it. I think I don't, I don't know. I've it's mentioned not much at all and yet there's still all this liquidity there so essentially right now it's only people who are who've been in the space for you know who read every obscure email and twitter thread and reddit post and they know about join market and not many other people do so i think you can remedy that by just having a bit of the advertising campaign having uh uh having some you know, going around giving talks going around uh sending emails and that kind of thing saying hey if you have bitcoins you can lock them up here and you get money for basically doing nothing just maintaining this maker and i think that would make a lot more liquidity flood in if we find out it's lacking uh so a third kind of a related point is a big reason we don't have more liquidity today with join market is that the market doesn't need it that basically anyone who wants to create a coin join can do so even up to as i said up to about 200 bitcoins so there's no there's no incentive for more people to come in if you see what i mean and I'm kind of confident, although I guess we'll see, but I'm quite confident that when it comes to a shortage of liquidity, then the price of coin joins will go up or coin swaps, and that will just motivate more people to go in. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good uh, argument. Yeah, market-based, right? Well, I mean, that was kind of the whole core of the idea in the first place, and it seems to be working so far. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh Let's see what else can we get into um so i know that you're looking at um succinct atomic swaps in terms of um kind of both um just being more efficient with uh chain space but also at the same time um trying to deal with kind of the the temporal fingerprint of like it you know into this address out to this address and that being something that could potentially identify a coin swap. So like that's obviously going to require a watchtower infrastructure. So like what, what, what's your thinking along those lines? Um, like, are you, are you planning on kind of implementing standalone watchtowers for this or um, potentially get involved in some of the discussions about watchtower standardization? Um, you know that so that way you can kind of avoid the problem of you know a single watchtower for each individual protocol it's involved in yeah i see what you mean um so what watchtowers i think would be required even if succinct atomic swaps are not used so they could just be required for a regular coin swap and um, they'd be quite useful um because you could have so a maker could have multiple of their watchtowers running on different like running on different networks on different machines with different power supplies so if any one of those machines for example gets a power cut and is unable to watch the chain they know they have two or three other watchtowers which are protecting their money uh, and i think that would be important because makers as we said they're basically holders they, they want they want the least possible risk to their money uh, and so they so they just make a return with the lowest possible risk um, so yeah, I guess they'll be using watchtowers just to defend against stuff like power cuts and internet cutouts. Now, as for succinct atomic swaps, I wrote about them a bit in the in the original document, but I'm I don't think they'll use them actually that much. So uh, so the effect you talked about of uh, unlinking the time. So 
you know you can have money go into a coin swap and then it cannot be paid out indefinitely it could stay there unspent forever in theory you can get that same effect by using private key handover and that's a thing where when there's money in a suppose i have money in a two of two multi-sig and i have one of the keys um if if the other person gives me his private key as well then i'll have two of the two private keys and i effectively unilaterally control that money because i have very private keys and then you get the same effect that the coins can remain unsever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's because, like, you know, I I would say, like, wouldn't you want to use those as much as possible wherever the, the taker and makers involved were willing to support such a thing? Because, I mean, you know, that it really would be kind of, I don't know, you know, it's it's the same kind of thing with pay join. You know what I mean? Like it breaks one heuristic in the sense that you destroy common input ownership, but then it, in my mind, inevitably creates a new heuristic as those things roll up into the the merchant or the receivers UTXOs if they're receiving a lot. Like I see the same kind of potential for that temporal linkage here you know when if you just have this string of coins that's constantly just hopping at somewhat regular intervals and never stopping um you know what i mean so like i i really see this succinct atomic swap application here as kind of really necessary in terms of you know doing the the best you can to really stop creating a new heuristic that people can look at I don't know how succinct atomic swaps adds anything to what private key handover does. Um, like with you were talking about a coin hopping many times, but they, they that would happen with succinct atomic swap. If I'm not if I'm not wrong. Well, I mean, isn't the entire gist of the succinct atomic swap you just hand over the the key and then you know watch from there? Yeah, and you can do that with uh, with private key handover. Like the thing of succinct atomic swaps is it also contains uh, some crypto stuff, like some uh, elliptic curve calcul- calculations that make the whole thing work. And then you then you get to that effect that you can leave a coin unspent forever. But you can get the same effect of leaving a coin unspent forever if you use private key handover. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean here. And that, but you know, to, to kind of continue down like the, the temporal um, route in terms of like implementation details, like ha- have you given any thought in terms of um, you know the actual software that makers would operate to kind of do careful UTXO selection to maybe introduce some kind of randomness in the rate at which coins are moving or which UTXOs have sat here for how long or, or things like that. Yeah, I've thought of that. There could be, I guess it will be somewhat similar to how it's in Join Market today, but there could be more. We'd have to think a lot more carefully because with CoinSwap, you can have the great effect that the transactions can look the same as any other transaction. So we'd have, so maybe a good idea, for example, is to analyze the blockchain the last six months or 18 months or something and see what's the average time a UTXO remains unspent for. And then you see what kind of statistical distribution that follows and use the same one for the makers um, for their algorithm for choosing UTXOs or something like that. Like uh, there's those couple of thoughts. Or another thought would be that you can, you know, there's the wallet fingerprinting idea that you can figure out 
okay, these transactions are almost certainly made by Electrum. These are certainly made by Bitcoin Core and Ooh. that kind of thing. And then in the in the maker algorithm, you say, okay, 30% of the time I'm going to pretend to be Electrum, 30% of the time I'll pretend to be Bitcoin Core, and then you have a few other wallets, and they all, obviously, they all add up to 100%. And um, that could be a useful thing to to break because that thing breaks um, change analysis, change address heuristics. So the way change address heuristics work is that you see, you can say, okay, this input was owned by Electrum and it's spent to two outputs and one of them is owned by Electrum and the other one's owned by Bitcoin Core. Therefore, the one that was Electrum is the change output because it's going back to the same wallet. And if we have this thing that intentionally breaks that, we can make an analyst think that the change output is the, is the payment output and vice versa. That's actually a really interesting thing I hadn't even considered. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that is a good wrench to throw in the gears. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit. So, um, if you guys remember my privacy article, uh, the the kind of the thing that first gave me the idea to write something like that was to document all these heuristics or document like the change output heuristic and how for wallet fingerprinting and that kind of thing. Because later I'd intend to use it for coin swap because I'd already have a prepared list for it and then figure out exactly how the algorithm will go. I'm thinking back now, that privacy article has been out for like two years or one year or however long. Um, so maybe that gives you a sign of how long I've been thinking about some of this stuff. It's been like slowly building up for, for ages, in fact. So I've got a memory now of in IRC, Greg Maxwell coming into the Join Market channel. It must have been like 2015 or 16 and, and said, hey, this, you know, this is really good. And you could, if you did it with CoinSwap, it would be really great as well because you get the benefit of breaking the transaction graph and stuff. So it's been years and years that we've all been thinking about it, I think. So you've just been quietly being a mad scientist in your head. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and of course, it has to be incremental. So you can never, it's hard to do a really big jump. Um, I suppose creating a CoinSwap implementation is a big jump. But in the first I did, I try and improve join market and figure out, out like the is around that and then try and improve them a bit more incrementally and get more people to join the project and that kind of thing and uh, get enough donations to support myself and that kind of thing. And eventually, eventually you get, I suppose that's how engineering and science works, that you get slowly, you um, learn more things incrementally. And But then when you look back over years, you've actually achieved a lot. That's kind of my uh, summary of the last few years for me. I just want to quickly mention um, the last trick that you mentioned kind of reminds me, I don't know if you ever used it, but there was a browser extension called Random Agent Spoofer, um, where it would take advantage of the fact that so many websites, they try to get your user agent string and use that to track you across the web. And Random Agent Spoofer, um, it well, you could set it to randomize so that it would do it for you, but you could also basically change your user agent profile so even if you were using you know firefox on a linux machine you could change your profile to be you know chrome browser on a mac and uh, you could also change it to a mobile profile which was quite fun because then you could see the mobile versions of all of these websites because that's what they would serve you assuming you were on a phone that's what it kind of reminds me of and i think it would be cool to have a similar thing for Bitcoin wallets for that. Yeah, I've heard of that. And that is probably, I, I mean, I've known about that for ages. And that's probably what inspired me. I have to admit, I probably got the idea from that. Oh, nice. Sweet. All right. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, last kind of nitty detail of the implementation, I guess. Uh, 
you know, you're kind of finally looking at uh, moving past IRC as far as a coordination or communication layer for this. So I guess uh, you, you kind of want to run through your thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, as I, I mentioned back in the beginning that Join Market started as kind of a toy implementation that just grew out of control. And IRC was just the first, it's kind of the first idea, you know, the first kind of, oh, you know, this thing will work, let's just do that. And, and then um, with the idea that later someone would come up with a, with a better idea and then no one ever did. Like all the other ideas that are possible have certain problems and IRC is still basically the the way it works now. And, um, and actually, it's I don't think it's actually that bad. So in Join Market, we use multiple IRC servers and it's easy for the community. Like if Join Market still has a community, then they can agree together to use another IRC server that someone sets up. And the IRC server can't... Uh, first, it, of course, not just one IRC server. It's Right now, there's three net networks and they can't do much. So all the communication is encrypted and uh, the, only, the only attack they can can kind of do is through a Sybil attack, which is to stop if a taker comes along, they can stop that taker seeing the genuine makers and then just redirect them to the server's own makers. And then they just give them and their useless coin joins that can be unmixed. Um, now, so the, the way I had it, uh, as you saw in the document, the way I think it will work in, in CoinSwap that, and this is another reason Fidelity Bonds are useful, is that there'll be a something like a web server uh, where takers will go they'll just go to the web server and just download the page and that page will have the tor onion of each maker along with their fidelity bond and uh then the the taker will connect all these tor onions and download information like they're direct connecting directly to makers and they'll download information like uh what the fees will be how many what the bitcoin amount will be and what the like relative fee will be and that kind of thing how many confirmations are required um but the, the reason the fidelity bonds are there is an anti-spam measure. Uh, so the way that makers advertise themselves is they go to this HTTP server and then upload the information, just their Tor onion. But if anyone can do that, then someone could run a while loop to fill up the, the HTTP server with just loads of random, you know, random data and make it crash, make it use loads of disk space. But uh, if these servers, they say that the only way you can write to them is to have a fidelity bond, then it's no longer free to spam. The, then the only way to spam is to spend loads of money on Bitcoins, which spammers won't do. And because makers already have a fidelity bond, which they're using for anti-DOS and for Sybil protection, they can just use the same fidelity bond here. Now, the reason the reason I kind of thought of it this way is because these HTTP servers, so I'd call them Sib, I'd call them CEDA servers, they'll probably be run by volunteers in a similar way to how the IRC servers, like they're Right now in Join Market, they're not run by anyone related to our, to Join Market, but they could be possibly one day. And what's most likely is there'll be volunteers. I guess it'll be similar to in Bitcoin Core. There's the DNS seeds, and they're run by people in the Bitcoin community, and they help new clients connect. It's that kind of model that there's people who are willing to run this thing, and it doesn't cost them too much money. Like they they just you know just have a seeder. It's a bot that goes around, and in equivalent to CoinSwap, it won't cost the volunteers too much money because they know they can't be spammed. They won't have to spend too much on disk space and they probably won't have to spend too much on bandwidth because the messages are quite small. So I think the, I hope the incentives there are right for the thing to carry on, you know, to work, to be sustainable. Well, yeah, I mean, I see like a big incentive for makers to run those. I mean, if nothing else, um, and then the fidelity bond would still provide a basis of like this isn't just being stacked up for free. Um, and then, you know, obviously you just cross compare things. 
the thing with makers is is that they have an incentive to censor everyone but themselves right just just by when you know no malicious things just because they want to make more money so i don't know if you're a maker and your fee is 0.1 percent and you see some son of a bitch over there is offering for cheaper then you're, you're not going to want to advertise him you want him to be forgotten right so i think that these servers have to be run by different people from makers ideally probably what they'll be is they'll be there'll be like a file that's it that's included within the coin swap package so so you just have maybe 20 servers and they barely ever change and they'll be run by like maybe you know not by me for centralization but some other people who are like keen and trusted in the in the community and um or you have to or you have to trust that they don't you know that they that they don't sense everyone but themselves and if they do try and do that then anyone could notice because the amount of offered like the value of all the offered fidelity bonds will drop a lot you'll see that one day there's millions and millions of dollars locked up in fidelity bonds and the next day there's only you know much less one not point one bitcoin and that, that'll be suspicious already if people start censoring well i mean if you're doing the fidelity bonds with a time lock um couldn't you kind of bypass this issue somewhat just by scanning the chain for time lock coins and i mean obviously not all of them are going to be um fidelity bonds but you know i would imagine some decent subset of them would be so you could use that as a kind of metric for like what can i see on chain and how much of this is being represented in all of the different um order book servers out there so there's two problems with that one is that um you can't you that would break pruning so that would mean that anyone who uses this can't prune their blockchain and they have to have the whole whatever 200 300 gigabytes and growing blockchain uh the other problem is that when you scan these things on chain you can't actually see their uh, time locked output until you until the money is spent it just looks like a p2sh output or something similar okay okay like i said it's been a while since i actually looked at the uh fidelity bond right up you did no that's fair the 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 good suggestions whatever i have to say this is quite an interesting and different podcast to the other ones because uh normally it's me kind of explaining the thing for people who've maybe not read the document and this is quite interesting because you're actually kind of finding problems with it which is really good like that's good you know you have to find reviews and possible problems and that kind of thing all right well i guess um you know one other thing i kind of wanted to get into um is post schnorr um you know i i don't really have any kind of solid or thought through um structure for this but once you bring adapter signatures into the picture um you know i see the potential here for synergy between coin swaps and the lightning network I mean, you know, you can already do um, submarine swaps between the two on chain. The issue here would just be accomplishing that without leaving a, a fingerprint that that's going on. And, you know, have you, have you kind of thought through um, any atomic interactions between um, multiple layers in like the long term design of this? I haven't thought. So can you explain what's the value add of combining lightning and coin swap? Well, I mean, just another way to potentially, you know, fragment um, or like break up or or condense amounts. I mean, it's it's really just a, another layer of liquidity because you know, right here, if you're looking at, um, 
you know, if you, if you look at Lightning, say, and CoinSwap and JoinMarket and all of these things as simply something that you're locking capital in um, for a return, um, it kind of becomes zero sum. Like you can't lock the same coin um, or will we'll not lock in the sense, but you can't reserve the same coin um, for coin swap making and also lock it in the lightning network unless you create, you know, some atomicity across those two layers. Yeah, so I guess, ca yeah, capital can't be used for routing lightning transactions at the same time as being in a fidelity bond used for coin swap. That's right. Um, I suppose for that argument, for, you know, for, for that, I would respond good because that means that Bitcoins will be more, more scarce, uh, you know, because another well, reason no, people want to buy Bitcoins is because they can make money from them, right? And then I, I don't mean the, the, the fidelity go. bond. I mean, like reserving coins to do coin swaps with. Like you're, you're kind of, you have to pick one or the other. Like, do I want to try and make money with these coins coin swapping as a maker? Or do I want to lock it into the Lightning Network for routing? Whereas if, if you could atomically link, um, you know, a payment across the lightning network into a coin swap, you know, I see a potential for somebody to make the lightning routing fees, but also be charging um, a coin swap fee for participating in a coin swap route. I can't, um, maybe I have to think about it a bit more, but I can't think of a way to make that work because... Uh, in, in the Lightning, for coins to be in Lightning Network channels, they'd have to be in these two of two multisigs, and they they stay unspent like indefinitely. Well, with CoinSwap, it, it's a fundamentally an on thing, an on-chain protocol. So the coins would be in the in the maker's wallet until you know under their unilateral control until they make a coin swap. So I don't know how it can be both in the maker's unilateral control and also in a Lightning channel in a bilateral control. Um, so I don't know if that can be made to work ever, but maybe there could be a way. I'm not, I don't know. Well, I'm not, not saying bold. I'm saying like let's say I let's say you're you're a coin swap maker. Um, we make a, our address on chain. Um, we sign the HTLC, and then I front load that. Um, atomically link the same HTLC across a routing uh, a lightning payment routed through the lightning network to another maker that I'm involved with who receives coin over the lightning network. And then he engages in his coin swap down the link. Like you see what I mean? Kind of just make a lightning payment, um, part of the, the hop in a routed coin swap. I think in that situation, there could be liquidity problems because the, the lightning part of the, of the routes can be, you have to think about in, you know, incoming channel out, and outbound liquidity and, channel rebalancing and things and the whole point of the liquidity market in CoinSwap is that those problems aren't there but instead the liquidity is paid for straight away and then returned back by close by when the coin swap's finished um so okay so if you had that like if you had a coin swap and then goes through a lightning and then through another coin swap it would mean that you're limiting yourself to lower amounts which is the kind of thing that lightning can do um so i don't i don't know if that's valuable well, I mean, with, you know, atomic uh, multipath routing, like the liquidity constraint wouldn't be as much as it would be without it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I guess. Yeah. Well, whoopsies. It looks like we lost Janine. So I guess, um, yeah, you know, kind of hop out of the, the coin swap stuff for a little bit. Um, you know, 
Before the, you uh, do, I've got a question for you guys, which is I'm trying to come mm -hmm. up with a name for the project. So it, it, I don't think having CoinSwap as a name is not a good name. Uh, there's a few reasons. One of them is it sounds a bit like a trade. There's actually a local Bitcoins clone called Local CoinSwap. And this has nothing to do with trading, it's privacy. Uh, so I've come up with two possible names. And if you could tell me which is you think better. One is PET, which is short for Privacy Enhanced Transactions. So you can imagine in your wallet, you click a tick box which says enable pet enable privacy enhanced transactions and the other possible name is indigo which is a semi-backronym for invisible disconnected transactions and then you'd click that you want to make an indigo transaction i know what do you think of those names hmm. i would my inclination is to go for pet just because i can think of a wallet having a little animation of like a dog or a cat when you click that button which would uh, attract people to actually using it. I think That's Indigo sounds idea. like a badass intelligence operations code name. <laughs> That's interesting. Thanks. I mean, I, I don't know. I honestly kind of like both uh, for different reasons. Yeah, naming things thing. is Everyone hard. Everyone said that. Yeah, yeah, naming things is hard. I think so far my best name that I've managed to come up with is Electrum Personal Server because that just gets the whole idea in one sentence. It's like the concrete down to the all the details that you need to know is just in this name. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I kind of jumped though out of the coin swap for a bit. Uh, you know, you you recently got the uh, the grant from the the Human Rights Foundation for coin swap development, so. Uh, did did you kind of receive that pseudonymously, like uh, ZMN uh, SCP XJ uh, from Square? Z-Man. Yeah, pretty much. The, um, I, I Alex Gustine, um messaged me one day, and you know, he's, you know, can we talk on the phone? I said yeah, and he said, you know, he told me the whole story, and then uh, I was in a, you know, uh, his someone there else there was there on on the chat with. Um, from the Human Rights Foundation, he said, send me a Bitcoin address. And, you know, I said, here you go. And then they sent the money. And that was that, really. Can't get more pseudonymous, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just glad to see, you know, you finally getting some support uh, in some substantial way for development. You know, like, I I'm going to write that folk ballad one day, Belcher. But it's like, you know, you you've just been hacking away at a lot of different stuff in this space you know, surviving off your own income and donations for the entire time I've known you. Like, <laughs> it's finally, like, yes, some recognition and some funding for all of the nice things you're building for us. Yeah, and it's pretty great. And it's very, um, like, as you said previously, I'd eke out a living with the other way. And now this is more, um, it's, a, it's more sustainable, I guess. I can spend my time only on this. Um, and that's great. That's, it's good for Bitcoin and good for privacy, I think. So just kind of like open up the uh, the whole topic, I guess. You know, like what what's your general attitude on like privacy in, in the space as a whole right now? Because it's you know it's much more improved than say five years ago, but it, it just feels to me like there's just this general attitude that like Bitcoin is private and fungibility is solved now that's kind of permeating the space and you know that's we're strictly speaking not even close to that yeah that's right it's not even not even close hopefully coin swap will improve but even then um 
I think the kind of the way I think about it is privacy is something that people have to, um, you have you have to kind of if it, the way it may happen is that people will be victims of privacy attacks. So, and like they might be victims of privacy attacks, and then that will motivate large numbers of people to adopt this technology, especially if it's a tick box they can just click. So, for example, there's uh, a, a thing a thing that I find quite hard is I've I'm seeing Bitcoin used quite a lot in places I'm not familiar with. So, for example, in Venezuela or Nigeria. And uh, like I've been listening to the podcast from Stefan Levera podcast where he talks to some people from there and they talk about like telegram groups of traders who just make 10 Bitcoin trades like all the time and that there's huge amounts of liquidity there and they're just done in, in their networks without going through local Bitcoins or anything like that. And um, that's something I don't know anything about. I've never been to those countries. I don't know how the local culture is or anything like that. And uh, so I'm the, I think I'm the wrong person to ask for how how it's actually working on the ground but in terms of um what i guess might happen is maybe in venezuela perhaps the government will get into one of these telegram groups and then use bitcoin's privacy flaws to figure out everyone's identity there and then arrest some of them and then the people who remain they're going to say okay i need to take privacy really seriously i'm going to adopt all this stuff like never reuse addresses and that kind of thing i remember so i remember for me the other a couple of like a year or two ago i sold some bitcoins and the person who like the coins i was meant to send to him it was in a, a reused address so all his trades were going to this one single address and I, you could put it in a blockchain explorer and see the transactions going back years basically uh. and i told him like hey do you want to not do that right and blah 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 and uh, he says no you know it's fine it doesn't doesn't harm me i don't care it's just easier when i have for his point of view is when he has repeat customers they always know the address is correct so I don't know what you do there, but maybe one day he'll be, uh, if he's Venezuelan, he might be arrested and then he'll, you, you know, not reuse addresses. But actually, he wasn't. I mean, he was in my country, right? In a country, you know, in the West here with nothing in, in the UK and London. So he had nothing really to worry about in terms of the law. I mean, I guess that's uh, kind of uh, a good use case for why stuff like um, payment codes like with paynims are valuable because then you do have a repeat identifier that someone can just look at and recognize and remember but you're also not tempted to engage in re address reuse yeah that's right that's one possibility yeah i'm actually kind of yeah it's it's kind of flabbergasting to me that samurai are the only ones at least that i'm aware of right now who've implemented that like that seems like such a common sense feature to really try to roll out as widely as you can i don't think it's actually that common sense that there's a lot of um there's quite a few downsides so hold on one second let me just find a let me just find a document I'll... all right are yeah, we I mean, gonna nitpick when... the uh the signaling on chain yeah, I'm, well, yeah, that's I mean, one I'd... thing that it requires on chain. But also, in terms of the problems it solves, you can get a lot of things by being really disciplined of not reusing addresses. So, for example, one problem it doesn't solve is a thing I've been calling the mystery shopper attack. And that's a thing where, I don't know, suppose you want to donate to someone, and if you donate them a very small amount of bitcoins, and then watch where they go on chain. So, if they've been merged into one big transaction into other. That goes somewhere you could say, okay, all these other inputs are actually all the other donations to this person. And uh, that works the same with um, with stealth addresses. Um, you have to take extra care to beat the mystery shopper payment attack. And another thing that uh, stealth addresses don't solve is censorship because, because they use the same public key like for 
you know, for all the payments, that public key could be censored. So, for example, if someone keeps all their Bitcoins on a Coinbase account and um, and keeps, you know, they want to donate to something here, then Coinbase could say, aha, you know, you're donating to this public key, which is a stealth address public key, but still we're not going to allow it. And re, uh, change having a new address you use each time beats that because uh, Coinbase won't know that this address actually belongs to whatever the person you're donating to, some WikiLeaks or something like that. Um, so they okay. I suppose that's censorship censorship resistance rather than privacy. But they, um, I've thought a bit about self addresses, and I don't think they're that common sense, really, in my view. Yeah, I was just thinking of it more from a from the user's perspective, like someone who wouldn't want to handle, you know, creating a new address uh, each time, or you know, they want to be able to manage that for you know customers who are not very technical and just want to be able to know okay this identifier matches the same one that i used last time um like from their end it just prevents address reuse but yeah there's still the activity that ha happens after that can be a problem really those objects are completely the wrong words like they should never have been called addresses because the word address makes you think it's like an email address or a mail address yeah. that you, you think are reused and um I've, I, I have some hope for those uh, when Lightning becomes more popular. Probably what's going to happen is they'll be used in those BIP21 URIs. You remember them where it says Bitcoin colon and then the Bitcoin address and a f some other metadata you can add. And I can imagine that people will eventually use Bitcoin by paying to that. And that will have both a Bitcoin address and a Lightning invoice. And Lightning invoices change all the time. And then we'll... People just call this this one thing. We'll just call it an invoice. A Bitcoin, you know, give me your invoice. I want to pay you. Give me your invoice. I'll, here's my invoice so you can pay me. And then it'll be natural for people to never reuse them because it won't have the word address. Um, I don't know. Maybe that will help. Who knows? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, I still think that it would be a net improvement in a lot of cases because, you know, you know, like you said, that the trader, and I, I know a decent amount of traders who do the same thing with address reuse, you know, that all centers around making it a simple thing to interact with somebody who doesn't understand this stuff. And I mean, yeah, you still have to take care of managing all the spends from any of those outputs, but it's still like it shifts the default from the instant coins are set somewhere. Um, things are correlated to now the user has to proactively do something to correlate that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a fair point, that it changes from a passive attack to an active attack. That's right. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do in this space as far as privacy goes. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Especially when you still have so many people that are willing to dump their personal information into various uh, silos that basically... At the end of the day, yeah, you can use all the privacy tools that are available, but you're you're always going to have this target painted on your back because you you very clearly identified yourself as a Bitcoiner to some corporate entity who is going to retain that data whether they want to or not for several years, if not longer. Yeah, the KYC thing is a is a huge you know a big problem, and it's not. I don't know if that's something, maybe it's not something that something like CoinSwap or CoinJoin can solve. You need to solve it by uh, go, go working around it, by resisting and having your own trading networks or just using Bitcoin as money that you spend in other places. Uh, so I don't, I don't know what the future holds.
Yes, a really interesting comment that I saw. I think it was Nicolas Dorier. He said that um, that people have actually asked him not to coin join coins that they've sent him. So they'll basically say, "Oh, I want to you know donate some money to you, but you, I don't want you to coin join it or use any privacy tools afterwards because it's coming from an exchange, and my exchange account could get closed or you know I could get questions based on the fact that you did coin join." And I have, I've actually never thought of that. No one's ever asked me that question, but I feel like, yeah, that could absolutely happen because like, because at the moment we're kind of just thinking of, oh, what if a exchange user goes to coin join their own coins? But then there's also this pressure that could exist of someone is sending coins from their own exchange account or even they have an exchange account and the exchange is able to correlate coins that they have in a different wallet with their exchange account and identity, there's going to be this like kind of seeping pressure beyond that person to other people to not coin join, or at least they're going to try to do that as a result. Yeah. And the end game for that is that eventually probably self-custody of coins will become incredibly, will become like, will become under pressure because the exchanges like they, they'd love it if you just kept all your coins at their exchange and whenever you take them out uh they'll put all kinds of barriers up for you i'm sure so yeah the, the only i suppose the only solution is resistance like that guy if he can get his bitcoins from somewhere else and not from an exchange or possibly uh i don't know maybe use his coin swap when it when it exists and it's not obvious that something like that happened Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's things like that really why I have a problem with like rampant advice to just coin join all your coins always because like all kinds of situations like that can occur. And it's really like you should think through, you know, do you need this privacy right now? Like it's 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 a <sighs> You know what I mean? Like your default shouldn't just be to add this fingerprint to something tied to you because that could go wrong in so many ways. I mean, like imagine the IRS coming, knocking on the door and it's audit time and now something tied to you goes off into a coin joint. Well, maybe now they're going to crawl 10 times further up your ass rather than just, you know, okay, you answered my questions. Have a nice day. Yeah, I guess that's possible. Uh, but they, what was I going to say? So uh, a thing of the coin join is because they're detectable, there's people who use coin joins have an incentive to try and get everyone else to use them. They basically have to go on Twitter and Reddit and beg everyone else. Oh yeah, please coin join. It'll be good. It's good for you. But really they're saying it's good for me. It's good for my coins. It improves my privacy. And quite a nice thing of coin swap and how it's undetectable is you don't need to do that anymore. Because your anonymity set is everyone else who uses Bitcoin normally without doing anything special. Mm-hmm. Because your coin, your coin swaps look just like their Bitcoins. So um, I suppose that'll be nice because then there might be less sort of guilt tripping around of, oh yeah, you should all coin join for every transaction. Of course, another reason that there's a talk going around that you should coin join every transaction is because then the centralized coordinators make more fees, right? They want more business, don't they? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a side of it, but it's... It's just like, you know what I mean? These are the tools we have right now, and they're way better than nothing. But, you know, it's still, it's something to think through. You know, like, I think one of the first questions anybody should ask themselves um, before getting into this space, getting Bitcoin, is asking, are you okay 
with your government potentially knowing that you have Bitcoin because of records kept somewhere? Or are you not okay with that? And that should be the first thing you ask yourself because it's, it's not just a magic, you know, run it through the mixer and you don't have any problems anymore. Like that, you could be in a situation where you have no problems and using that mixer actually creates them. And it's, it's great that these tools exist for people who want to use them, you know, aware of these things who need to use them. But, you know, a lot of people could wind up creating big problems for themselves, just blindly going coin join because that's what I was told to do. Yeah, that's right. And uh, one possible situation of how this all works, one possible like scenario is that the first few people, I don't know, the first couple of people over the next five or 10 years, they use CoinSwap or CoinJoin and then the authorities like uh, crack down on them. I don't know, maybe they do a CoinSwap and then the coins they they sent actually end up being sent to Iran, like a, san- a sanctioned country. And then someone breaks down their door and says, hey, why were you sending coins to Iran and blah, blah, blah. And then, the, you know, this guy just says, look, I, I was actually using CoinSwap, you know, look at this thing. And then I'm, I'm innocent, basically. You can prove that, you know, he's got the CoinSwap application. And um, then the authorities will learn. They're like, oh, okay, maybe we can't track Bitcoin so well. So we might end up in an effect where the first couple of people get, they have to answer questions that will be very unpleasant for them. But then they're, sacrifice I, I mean i know it's, it's obviously you know horrible for them definitely these uh the people breaking down their door but their sacrifice will help everyone else because it will help the authorities learn that they can't just just like that um that's uh yeah that's one scenario where this happens because after that happens when when people realize that when analysts realize that every transaction they see could be a coin swap then i think they'll just give up they unless other attacks are found but there might be nothing i don't know what else they could do that's why i'm kind of keen of in I'm eager in when when it's all created and deployed that we create this meme of hey, it's not coin swap. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I hope that that's the case, but I have a feeling that they're not going to give up. They're just going to increase um, either the pressure to get everyone to stop self custodying, or they're going to increase their level of pseudoscience beyond what they're already practicing. Like we we saw with the chain analysis webinar. I can't remember when it was, but it was pointed out by Ruben, um, where they basically said in the war risk what they consider risky is not necessarily illicit but um as i pointed out recently on twitter um what they tell their clients is to basically equate whiskey with um with illicit or at least the potential to be illicit which is effectively they make it the same thing and that's really annoying because that's that's affecting how their clients are reacting and um viewing privacy enhancing technology they're looking at it all as yes it is risky but we're going to treat it as illicit because we don't know and that's going to get really annoying going forward especially with um like because i had a whole thread about um world check and how world check is kind of similar to blockchain these blockchain surveillance companies where the the sourcing and how they how people come to be added to lists like that is like really it's really disgusting and there's no like really solid methodology behind it and yet it still affects people every day like it locks people out of the financial system 
And so, yeah, I, I hope that their response is to be like, well, can't do anything much anymore, but I have a feeling like with, with all the money behind it, that they're probably just going to ramp up their pseudoscientific uh, practices. Yeah, that's right. And then um, well, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's something risky or illicit, the, the outcome is the same if you're locked out, if your account is closed. I guess what it will be, I don't know, the community, people who this will end up having to resist, they'll have to somehow convince them that look, privacy is a thing and um, you'll, you know, you can't just assume transactions are like this and then maybe that will show to people that the pseudoscience is wrong. Well, I mean, in America, at least, you know, I see a, another potential route to go. Um, court. You know, Americans... Yeah, that's right. Americans don't have a right to financial privacy from their banks or their financial institutions, but they do to the public at large. And, you know, just the nature of Bitcoin um, being so just intuitively different than a private database in a silo. Um, you know, I see a very strong argument there that the use of these tools are perfectly legal in the sense that you are just protecting your financial privacy from the public and nothing about using these tools prevents you from providing a, um, a, a proof of provenance or where those coins actually came from to a private entity. You know what I mean? Like I can coin join all day and I can still go back to where I first went into that mix and sign a message to prove this is where my coin came from. Yeah, that's right. So oh, yeah. I wonder if a solution might be that uh, you go, I mean, I don't want to give them ideas, but suppose you go to an exchange and buy Bitcoins and then they require you every time you make a transaction on chain, they require you to either prove that you still own the coins or somehow prove that they've gone to some other place, some exchange. That could be a thing. Well, that would, I mean, that would break the system as well, because then you have to, every time you make a transaction, you have to get email your exchange, which would be a bit silly. My solution so far is just not to, I, so far I haven't used any KYC services. And when I say that, like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a very boring person when it comes to the things that I spend my money on. So anyone who would, you know, take an interest in me just because I say I don't use KYC stuff, you're going to be very disappointed because, <laughs> because I don't, I don't, I, I'm the most plain boring person you could think of. Um, and the reason I don't do it is more because just like, I don't trust any of these companies or services to protect that information. And it's not even so much of like, what would the government do if they had this information, which I like, there are so many different ways that they could obtain that besides these, you know, fintech companies. I'm just thinking of the fact that I don't trust any of them to keep it secure from everyone else, like the public, it's going to eventually just get release somewhere onto you know darknet markets or whatever and i can't control it at that point so the only control i can exercise is just not give it to anyone um and people sometimes ask well that must be really hard to do and actually i think people overestimate how technically knowledgeable i am and how technically knowledgeable you have to be to 
actually use Bitcoin and get Bitcoin that way without doxing yourself to everyone left and right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's um, it's not actually that hard. So I'm the first first few times I bought Bitcoin was actually just in cash in person. And I didn't know much about Bitcoin mm -hmm. then. It was just I just went to some, you know, got some guy's phone number. We met up somewhere. It was just like buying something on Craigslist. You know, I gave him cash and then he sent, you know, he sent me first to the, I shouldn't, you know, there's the whole protocol. He just sent coins to my QR code and I showed, I saw the confirmation happen and just gave him cash and it was, he didn't really need it. You just need to know how to use a wallet. It's, it was easy. And, and these days we have lots of, so have you guys seen, I have like this, there's this GitHub, uh, which someone else made, which lists lots and lots of ways to get Bitcoin on sell Bitcoin without KYC, mm -hmm. um, the no code, yeah. the peer to peer list. And that's, uh, that didn't really that that's kind of a new thing and i think a lot of people are using that there's and bisque of course is one example so yeah you can survive like that depending on your use case yeah i think uh yeah buying cash is definitely the way to go if that's possible my first coin purchase was meeting some suburban soccer mom in a Starbucks <laughs> and, and going, this is um, weirdly like, but not like a drug deal. Do we, do we happen to know who the suburban soccer mom is? Nope. Oh, interesting. Like it was, it was the weirdest experience of my life showing up expecting like some nerdy, like, info sack chick and it's just like nope some soccer mom just trading something yeah well maybe i guess that's the power of assumptions right yeah people can surprise you a bit mm -hmm. well i don't know guys uh i think i mostly uh plumbed out all the stuff i wanted to get into uh janine uh, belcher you guys got anything else you want to talk about mm, nope. i don't know I am uh, ready for the announcement, though. Surprise, Belcher. We have a surprise announcement for you. Cool. What's that? Well, Janine, you want to drop the news or should I? Uh, you can do it. Well, it's, uh, it's no uh, $50,000 uh, grant from the Human Rights Foundation, but uh, in the next couple days, we are going to peel off uh, 0.1 BTC and send that your way for help with uh, coin swap and join market development. And uh, I at least am going to meme people on Twitter to uh, try and match that to some degree. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, man, you, get, you have produced a lot of stuff in this space that I have personally benefited from. And uh, the least we can do is pass on uh, you know some of the uh thank you yeah that's um that's very much appreciated thank you yeah and we've we've actually trying to uh make it for quite a while but we figured this would be a good opportunity yeah cool that's, that's very nice so i guess uh it's our little contribution back for all the cool toys you've made for us oh that's wonderful yeah, do you guys use like Electrum Personal Server and I suppose other things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, got cool, it sitting cool. on a desktop right behind me right now, hooked up to my node. Yeah, nice. But yeah, you know, I guess uh you know, this is a real fun one. Uh honestly kinda shocked I haven't pestered you to come on before now. But uh 
you know, thanks for coming on. It was fun. I hope educational. Yeah, thanks for having me. We can do this uh, again. So in a few days, I'm going to send an email to the mailing list about a detailed protocol. And that could be an interesting thing to talk about as well or other stuff. I don't know. Ooh, uh, we might try to pull you right back for a back to back then. Yeah, sounds good. All right. But, uh, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed listening and catch you later, punks. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you. Bye. Yeah, you can have